0: Chris trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com.
2: Jess Caldwell has started an academy called Wild and Kind, where she's blending this idea of wildness and understanding and learning to be wild with the idea of being kind and being kind to yourself and your body and your spirit and your mind. She's been on a pretty incredible journey in terms of like trying to figure out this thing that is hunting and wildness and the outdoors because she had zero experience in it. She's pretty much given up everything to do this thing that she feels called to do. So I wanted to have Jess on the podcast. Um, It was a perfect time for her to come on. She's got her mind on straight in terms of why she's doing what she's doing. She's getting ready and gearing up for a big 2023 of the Academy launching, and I think you'll find a very fascinating conversation with an individual who just, pretty much just headfirst into the deep end of this thing that she feels so passionately about. So enjoy. So I guess the, the biggest question that I have, and and we'll get into it, obviously. What does it mean to be wild and kind?
3: Oh, yeah. Thank you. Those two words came together so brilliantly when I was out on a hike. I didn't know what to name the thing I was dreaming up. And I knew that wild had was in it somewhere because that's the essence of everything I'm doing. Is the nature of wildness from the um, from the time I started it? It it began because of my time being in out of reach places, and then the kind part came in. It's I guess it's a play on words here, but it just works really well together because there is not only the kind of person that finds himself in wild places. So you are a wild kind of human, or you um, are putting this together that there is something that I'm hoping to bring to my community, which is um, the kindness that comes from the experience of uh, being held in nature. So those two things just came together really well for wild kind Academy.
2: Are you, would you consider yourself a wild person?
3: I, ha- I can be extremely wild. Yes, <laughs> 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 yeah. Um, you know, I live in—I live with a foot in two worlds. So um, I have—I uh, live in um, more of a suburb. You know, I, I live not—I I do live rural, but I still am of this world. I have two teenage boys. We go to the movies. We. We Mm -hmm. are of this world doing these things. I love being alive in the here and now at this time. I think it's a really Mm -hmm. powerful time to be here. I'm not one of those people wishing they lived 100 years ago. Um, Mm -hmm. I really love being here, and I feel like I have a mission to be here. But in that, I have to also put my foot in the other world, which my heart is drawn to which has extreme wild roots in it. And that is what has allowed me to be and feel more human and more alive to be in both worlds in the here and now.
2: So Jess Caldwell, welcome to the Blood Origins podcast. We're happy to have you and your intellect and intelligence. Um, While all of a sudden, this, this spark of like, I need to be I need to be back in the wild, I need to sort of convert myself and my lifestyle to being more wild. Like, why didn't this happen 10 years ago, or 20 years ago or when you were growing up?
3: I do think I was exposed to it growing up. And that's what helped me get back to um, realizing what it was going to be to fix my adulthood. Um, growing up, I had a dad who was a cowboy, and we uh, he lived off grid. In um, a remote location, and my summers with him were um, without running water and um, Hmm. jumping on my horse and taking off on my quarter horse into the woods and coming back hours later and um, taking uh, lots of nature hikes with him. Uh, I grew up. Was
2: that Washington State? This was in Oregon. Oh, In Oregon, okay. Yeah,
3: and you know, for our our spiritual religious practice was. Uh, nature's our cathedral, and this is where we go to f- to commune with ourselves and with something bigger than ourselves. So I grew up with that mindset from my dad, and um, and then I also, uh, when I was fourteen, I hiked the Pacific Crest Trail for three weeks. Um, so
2: by yourself? No, I was
3: with a group called Outward Bound.
2: Oh, okay, <laughs> okay, <laughs> I okay well. Holy smokes! Yeah, yeah. Okay. No, I was
3: with a group of teenagers my age, and, um, and that okay. really changed my life. Um, as far as being a teenager, you don't, I think it's the best thing a youth can do is take off in the worst time when the hormones are a mess and social pressures are intense, go take a summer and (laughs) go be completely remote for three weeks, living off very little. Mm -hmm. And, um, the, when I came back, my sense of self-sufficiency and, just confidence was off the charts. And um, and I was a different teenager because of it. So I didn't just all of a sudden say, this is where my heart is. I think it's more of a, when when have I been the happiest? When have I been the most connected? And what do I need to do as an adult who's, who has had to live in modern world with raising boys and being, you know, relationships and And careers and all those things and finding that I think the pandemic was something that really helped instigate there's got to be something else we can do um, to feel whole and not feel so um, completely torn in a world of um, of the matrix that's pulling us in different directions and that we do have some choices in this that that bring us back to self and that is not about the rest of the world so i I have some pretty strong feelings around what's possible um mm-hmm. with this exploration
2: so I know we chatted a little bit about it when we were together but like what what was the catalyst to like just throw it all in and just say like okay I wanna there's got to
0: Discover your next adventure on Fishing
2: Booker. Wild and Kind Academy. Were you just like a typical nine-to-fiver, uh, go-into-an-office-job kind of scenario and then just hit screw it?
3: <laughs> um, kind of. I was <laughs> nailed it. <laughs> um, so I was a marketing director for a performing arts center in uh, Olympia, Washington, and was doing that for a couple years. I before that I was a managing director for a company. So yes, I was working very typical nine to five um, hours and in front of my computer a lot and. You know, when the pandemic hit, I did lose my job because uh, our theater okay. down, there was okay. no live performances at the time. Um, and they did a great job of keeping us on as long as they could. But at some point, we just weren't opening our theater back up and there was nothing to market. So um, I found myself um, in the midst of what probably other people experienced at the early stages of the pandemic, which was a sense of um, uncertainty about the future, a sense of being vulnerable, um, a sense of feeling like where's you know when when I was a single mom at this time and I didn't have the resources to go to Costco and spend you know two thousand dollars on food supplies, when everyone was feeling this sense of urgency around stocking up and getting toilet paper uh-huh. and making sure uh-huh. that their needs were met, and there was this kind of return energy of. Let's live off the land and let's, let's get self-sufficient and get generators and, and stock up our, you know, stock up and make sure we have everything we need to handle the the big shit that's about to hit the fan. And that energy just wasn't something I felt drawn to. Um, I really felt like at this time of my life um, because I have more freedom, my kids are older. They're um, in you know they're 18, 16, they're very independent and I'm feeling this sense of I want to walk the world more lightly. I don't want the weight of a household of crap. I want to feel that I can walk lightly through the world both in my energy and how i'm presenting to myself and to my family and to my friends but also in my own sense of arrival into this into this age that we find ourselves in which was actually how do i how do i live in a way that um i'm not weighted down by stuff and and Mm. the sense of urgency around supplies but how do i actually train myself to see what's in front of me how did humans do it before this time, they got us here. They were really intelligent. Um, they got us here without those things. Our our ancestors knew the rhythms of nature. They knew how to work with the cycles in the spring, in the fall, and what to harvest, both from wild plants and from small game and from uh, big game. And also working together in communities to create um, that everybody had roles and they knew how to do stuff and. Here we are, we find ourselves in this time where we're lacking a lot of those skills. And it became very clear to me that my kind of new mission was to learn the skills and to create an academy to bring those skills to other people, because I think they're very, very important. And they're the key. They're a gateway for us to feel way better.
2: Mm -hmm. Just normal people start academies. Because they have experience,
3: <laughs> right?
2: <laughs> you started your academy with zero experience. Correct. You were not a hunter no. when you decided to do this. Correct. What was, let me ask this. I, I didn't ask you this question when we were together. Did you have a pre- preconceived notion or perspective or perception? No. Of who hunters were?
3: Oh, of hunters. Um I thought yeah, you were of hunters me about Of me no. with the academy. No,
2: no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> no, of hunters and hunting.
3: I had no exposure to hunting. Um my No
2: no not exposure, but opinion. Mm. Did you have an opinion?
3: Uh no, I didn't have an opinion. I didn't have a I didn't have a negative opinion. I didn't have a positive opinion. It just wasn't part of my um of my worldview of my understanding. I I think when I perceived a hunter, I had certain misconceptions about um the hunter personality. Um
2: what were those misconceptions?
3: Um I would say kind of um those perceptions, and I hate to stereotype, but I do think they're real, that I felt a sense, you know, I just I hadn't met an intelligent hunter that I could sit down with and and talk about. The why it just more felt like um these are people who are drinking beer on the weekends and heading out uh to the woods and um getting away from their wives and um that you know it just it, it was really neutral it wasn't like meant to sure. be a real strong judgment it yep. was just yeah you know nothing i really could relate to
2: because you just hadn't seen it no you had seen that side of it no and you, but you okay
3: and i also didn't understand anything about the full circle of hunting of of what what the i mean there is so much that's happened in two years as far as my exposure and yeah. what i've witnessed and what i've seen and what I, I mean and i have done a full deep dive i don't know i think i can say with confidence that i have done more in two years in time in the field than probably most people have who had who would take on something like this? I mean, of course, there's people who have grown up hunting. They're in the field. They do this every year. I'm just saying, from a, from where I started and the and the commitment I made for the last two and a half years to being in the field and witnessing everything. Um, even to last this last fall, I worked at an elk hunting camp as the camp cook, just so that I could be around the conversations. Of hunting so that it's not just you know my perception but it, I really want to to understand the mind and understand the process and understand the conversations and I mean I'm doing whatever it takes so I know that's really unusual but I spent you know two months living in a wall tent left my kid left my family you know I'm a little homeless right now I've done some pretty extraordinary things um, to get to the point where I could clear the slate basically free myself up from a mortgage, free myself up from, um, things that hold me stationary. I took some pretty big leaps, sold my house, did all those things so that I have the freedom to go live in a wall tent in the uh, coast of Oregon for, uh, Roosevelt elk hunting season. And just being there. Was that the elk camp
2: that you went to cook at? Say that again? That was the elk camp that you went to cook at? Yeah.
3: It was on the coast of Oregon. Okay. Yeah. And I, and I was hired with an outfitter company, uh, Upfront Outfitters, who brought me on board as base camp manager. And so I helped line things up for the hunters and did the communications and found myself living in the cook tent and in a cot. And, um, I missed my own hunting season really because of that, but that's okay because this is a lifelong exploration. And the more I pick up and learn, and I'm out scouting with the guides and I'm picking up all sorts of things, it's an education. And then some of the biggest education that's happening for me is around the dinner table at night.
2: What was that? Well, I'm curious. What, what did that education sound like? Was it more like hunting strategies or was it more like what you were what you may have been a misperception in the past which is why are these guys even here
3: oh it's all of it and it changes depending on the time so in the mornings you know i'd be up at four in the morning with coffee ready, breakfast ready. And then everyone comes in, I've got their lunches packed, and we're sitting around the table having coffee. And then I'm listening to the strategy side of what their plans are for the day, what why they're choosing to either, you know, go scout that morning, um, whether they're just going to be glassing or whether they're hitting, you know, whether they're going in, they've got a trail cam up, and they're going to go, you know, they found some evidence of, of life, and they're heading out there. So I get to hear those conversations and just kind of dive into for myself how are they thinking and then in the evenings when they come back I'm getting to hear the conversations everything from what went wrong what went what right what you know what the reflection really of the experience and then we actually had one week where there were uh, four successful um shots and it was going in and helping to pack out so now i'm getting the experience of of helping break down the animal and uh packing it up and and the experience of hiking out through a very very dense forest which is um it's one of the hardest hunts i think the the roosevelt elk Um, so you know for me it's like awesome i get to go right into some of the hardest hunts oops hold on dear let me see if I just lost you.
2: I no, didn't. I'm here. Me... I'm still here. Okay. Everything's still good. Oh,
3: good. I'm going to turn yeah this off. Um. So, yeah, that. So I, I hope I answered your question, but I I, I mean, there's a lot more I can, <laughs> could go into.
2: So, what did you feel like, so there's probably a couple of people listening to this that are, we have a lot of audience that are non-hunters that are interested in getting into hunting. It's sort of a, a topic that keeps coming up now. There seems to be a cadre of people because of COVID that are now interested in getting into hunting. The barrier of entry, as you well know, is very, very high. So, for someone who two years ago, two and a half years ago, said, Okay, I want to do this, like, what did you do to, to start?
1: Hmm. So, I.
3: While I was a marketing director, I was in Idaho for a conference, and I met a man um, who's a hunter, and he has a YouTube channel on hunting and fishing. He's quite adept and um, silhouette outdoors, and I met him just randomly one night, and he, um, and gosh, I think it's worth saying that a girlfriend and I, we both encouraged one another i'd never been on a dating app and i decided to go on a dating app for 30 days because we both were going to have the experience of choosing a date with the kind of person you would never ever normally choose to go on a date with so we were going to completely go opposite land and and do something totally <laughs> weird and date because we both were so not into dating it was like how about we try something new 30 days only date people you would never date. And so okay. I had 4 days left on my challenge and she called me and said, "You have not been dating." And I said, uh, "I'm okay, I'm in Idaho." I tell you what, I'll go on the app right now and I'll I'll do my assignment. So I pick out a guy who's in camo and you know, on a on a motorbike in camo. And I'm like, "Would never date that guy, so <laughs> let's try it." <laughs> <laughs> and um and so he, I was like, I'm here with the, a performing arts organization. We're listening to jazz and classical music tonight as part of our, as part of our tour. That's what I was there at for showcasing and helping to showcase um, jazz and and classical music. And would you like to come out and join me at this hotel for a drink? Sure. He
2: was like, Oh my gosh! He was probably saying jackpot because he was like, I'm an Idaho and camo, and here's this girl from Oregon who has blonde hand is pretty pretty saying I want to date you and he's like oh okay I think <laughs> whatever was- she wants me to do tonight I'm saying yes to
3: <laughs> it was it, you know he played it cool at first he's like well there's line dancing my friends and I are doing this and I'm like "Line, okay I mean, clearly there's a country music thing there's all this stuff anyway he made it out and um we I was intrigued by him. I was intrigued by his stories, um, over, you know, to talk about hunting and fishing. And I, um, and so he, I went back home after that date and he later invited me back for an ice fishing trip, um, out at Lake, Lake Cascade, which brings huge perch like giant perch up to the surface so I went fishing for the first time and it was one of the most joyful experiences of my life to be truly to be out in this crazy cold iced over lake freezing Jeez. drinking a beer <laughs> and ice fishing and pulling up these big beautiful yellow perch and then we brought him back to his place and made fish tacos and I was like oh my God, this is something big. This feels really, really big to me. It just felt like I'd never harvested food before and then Hmm. ate it that same night. There was something so extreme about it. And my energy levels from being out in the cold winter, frozen over, you know, lake was so invigorating to me that I was like, I just felt epically... Great. And mm-hmm. so he inv- you know, we invited me back time and time again for different fishing um adventures. I think that year, those two years I dated him, we I caught over 30 species of fish um, in Alaska and Mexico and Oregon and Washington and Idaho. And it was it was a incredible fishing relationship. Um and from there he invited me on a hunt uh for antelope and antelope hunt and so i sat with in the blind with them for 2 days this was my first exposure to archery and to witnessing a hunt and again it was just something that changed me i mean even just sitting in a blind for 2 days not talking and witnessing and having binoculars and watching the magpies and watching the you know the wildlife and watching the antelope from you know 300 500 yards maybe coming in, maybe not playing, you know, ju- jumping around. It was the most romantic experience I've I've ever had. And it wow. felt really good to sit in silence with somebody. That felt really great for me too, that I witnessed that hunters don't have to talk all the time. <laughs> mm. And I was attracted to the silence, um, which was, you know, maybe part my experience of just being like this is really nice to be a human and be with somebody in silence, observing the natural world. To me, it was mm-hmm. it was a highlight to having a relationship experience.
2: Mm-hmm. And
3: he had a successful hunt. I went out, we field dressed that antelope, we brought it back, we had elk or er, antelope steaks that night, and it just again I was brought to just pure amazement of that experience i went home back to washington and that next day i bought a compound bow um that was immediate i just walked into a local archery shop and said help (laughs) and i just i need a bow um this was something that just uh was immediate and it's amazing because the right connections just just opened themselves up to me um, because I didn't know anything about how t- to shoot a bow, let alone anything about hunting or the seasons or anything. So mm. I had called up somebody through Instagram. I don't remember who right now. It was just someone I saw on Instagram who was into sure, archery. Sure. And I was like, who do I call to learn how to shoot? Type, type, type. And they said, you live in Washington, right? Yes. Call up Joel Turner. Um, he has a clinic on uh, called Shot IQ. He is an incredible. Um, he's incredible, and you'll he'll be he'll be someone that might be able to mentor you. So I did. I went to his clinic. He only lives an hour away from me. He's one of the you know he's very uh, well respected in the hunting community um, as a teacher, as a hunter. His son Bodie is actually one of the top archers in the world. Um, Mm. who is, uh, I think, 15 now, I actually wrote a story on him. He's an incredible human um, with incredible skill sets. And his dad has taught them this, this technique of focus. And it felt very working with with Joel, felt like working with Yoda. Um, which really sp- spoke to me because I have a history of being a yoga instructor and working with mindfulness training and meditation. And there was something just perfect about meeting him because he spoke to my brain and how I operate in terms of the mental game, the focus, the, med- the really the meditative flow state through shooting. And so I spent a year shooting, and that's how it began.
2: So the lesson here is... There is hope for all the hunter rednecks that aren't dating apps.
3: <laughs> if that's what you got out of that, yes. <laughs> maybe I'm I start a whole thing where um I'm joking. I'm is. joking. But
2: <laughs> you never know where them. the mentorship Yeah, you never know where the mentorship's going to come from, right? Totally. <laughs> hilarious. Yeah. Absolutely hilarious. So so we've talked about the wild side of the Wild and Kind Academy. How did I, I, I think the kind component, I think that's also a very large misperception, even within the hunting community, and not even, you know, outside of our community is, would you dare dare we call ourselves kind? It's not an adjective that would often be associated with hunters
3: yeah well i'm changing that script so
2: yeah and i think it needs to be changed it's to the benefits and consequences of who we are as hunters and what hunting does right yeah uh it's to me it's almost the adjective for hunters and that who are the hunters like for instance um have you taken an animal yet yes how much of the animal did you give away
3: most of it as christmas gifts <laughs> i turned that um my first uh deer i made um so much i made all these i made jerky and i made steaks and all these things and then i gave and it was right before christmas um 2 years ago and or was it last year i don't it was right before christmas and then that was my christmas gifts to my family and friends and it felt so good to give them food that i
2: harvested Mm. but it's 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 something that happens all over the world Mm -hmm. you know hunters give yes hunters give you know you don't go to the grocery store you've never heard anyone goes to the grocery store and buy 12 ribeyes and get home and call everyone up and say hey i got 12 ribeyes do you want one that's true never happened however a deer that you processed yourself, that that you've brought back, probably is probably five to ten times the cost per ounce of that meat than the ribeye that comes from the store. Yet you're willing to give that away.
3: Oh, I mean, there was no greater gift, and everybody felt it. They knew the journey I've been on, and they knew what it took for me to get there. They knew the emotions I had um, that were... Pretty strong, um, and it was the most from the heart experience personally of integration um, that I've had. And then to offer that to the community, to my friends and family, was the greatest gift I could have given them because it's, it's the most sincere. It's 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 like here's a piece of me and a piece and you know the, of my heart and my experience, and the gift of this animal, and together we're giving to you sustenance, and food is love.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it, it, it certainly, you know, it for, for hunting and hunters, maybe like, you know, there's certain scenarios around the world that are much easier to capture from a meat perspective, like the African example, where people go there to hunt, their motivation may not be like yours to, you know, from a giving perspective, it's more like, I want to go hunt a, a big animal, mature a trophy animal. But the, uh, the benefits and consequences of that action are like, you can't take the meat home, like you can't take it back to America. So all of that meat, including organs and, and you name it, is utilized by the communities given to the community and the impact that that has on people is Tremendous! It's like it's it's incredible, um. But we don't often, and and the same here in the states. Like, there's actually probably more giving of meat here in the states than there is in Africa. There's more food banks receiving venison. There's more pantries receiving venison. There's more hunters for the hungry programs all across the country. There's more people giving and doing than we led on to.
3: And it's the which opposite. is unfortunate it's the opposite of hoarding um, that's another piece that I witnessed with the pandemic and right after nine eleven is I do think it is um, a diligent act to have some food storage um, just because of the unexpected, but the fear that people have around food and the sense of um, concern of lack of food and that hoarding of food and the holding on to a food, I think, is something that with the hunting journey, you, it, I do think it's a spiritual release to give. It changes the nature of the hoarding. Um, because you can become more self-sufficient to harvest food and you have those skills and you know you can do it again and you know you have you're not hoping that the food supply chain is in full swing in order for you to get your next meal when you have those skills of knowing how to harvest food and food sovereignty then there is the energy of the give there's the energy of this is not you know i something i have to hold on tight to. worlds it's i'll never get it you know i won't what if i don't what if the food truck doesn't come? Or what if the grocery store shuts mm-hmm, down? Mm-hmm. But the hunting journey is the opposite of that. It's the, I know how to harvest food. I know where it comes from. And now I have more freedom in my in my heart to give that. And it's not fear-driven.
2: Do you think that's the purpose of the Wild and Kind Academy is to give that freedom of... I know you use food sovereignty a lot in the messaging that you use. Is that it? Is that the purpose
3: It's not the only purpose. I think it's an outcome of mm. of a bigger picture. I do feel like what I'm building is more of an umbrella of a of a big picture, and it's not our okayness um, in our in this time is not just about food sovereignty or self-sufficiency but we are in essence beings of nature which means we have a very dynamic nature as in the energetics of what it means to have a human body what's going on mind body spirit for us to be alive and to be operating and to be feeling um connected and whole if we shut all those channels off that is where i think many people are operating from where they're plugged in all the time to the matrix, and they're turning off their own rhythms of nature, then they're feeling completely uh, displaced in mind, body, and spirit. And I think that my uh, offerings here through Wild Kind Academy is not just about food sovereignty or having skills, hard skills, but I think an exploration of the freedom that we have as conscious sentient humans, that there's a holistic picture going on that for us to tap into and explore, which was part of my seven day solo that I had in Colorado this summer with nothing but a knife. That experience was, was spiritual. And, um, You went
2: to Colorado for seven days with just a knife?
3: Well, I was in, I lived in a primitive shelter in Colorado for two months, um, so i that was facilitated through the survival university up in cripple creek colorado okay. and okay. i i basically moved moved out went out there with um they hand you a, a tarp when you first arrive and say set up your shelter and here's your supply list you need a knife a ferro rod blah 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 and then Everything for two months. If you want food, you have to start a fire with a ferro rod. You have to collect and harvest tinder. You've got to. Um, you basically are learning the skills of the advanced woodsman for two months, and that's something that really amazing. Yeah, that and that was very exciting to me because that was part of this my own journey of sovereignty. Isn't just around food, but it's how can I operate with um, wisdom. In the outdoors, in nature, I think the conundrum that a lot of people have is they want the nature connection. They want to have the experiences, the, the spiritual connection to, to life itself, which is given to us as a gift when we spend time in nature. But without the skills to be able to do that, the moment you hear a funny sound in the woods that you don't recognize, you are now in fight or flight. And mm. you're saying, oh my God, what's that sound? I just heard, you've never heard a screeching owl in the middle of the night. You're out of there. And so um, <laughs> there's a conundrum of how do we access getting out in the wild and feel safe and to to get to that point where we can actually relax, settle in and feel more through our senses because we're not in a state of fight or flight, but we're actually can receive what's happening around us in a in a kind of um shared way with the natural world. So I purposely did this training because I wanted to feel that ease in nature. I wanted to learn more about it. And I took a ton of classes those two months and it com it the, sure. the what's that?
2: No, sure. Yeah. That makes sense.
3: And um, you know, everything from primitive hunting skills, um, you know, we we built primitive weapons. We did um uh austere cooking, um using all of the animals. So we did butchering and austere cooking and smoking of meat and trapping and e- everything. It was really a, a full program of of learning what it is to live with the land and in the land and and be um okay with how with your skill sets. So then it completes with a seven day solo where they um we we go, we hike down to a remote part of the river. It's there's no cell reception, there's no you know you're really out there and you're about maybe a a half a mile away from anybody else Mm -hmm. and you're given you can start with your knife and as you complete certain bushcraft skills that once your shelter is made with just a knife once you've you are able to make fire once you're able to do certain things you can you kind of earn back gear after a Mm -hmm. 24-hour time period so by the end of um You know, a couple days I had my water filtration system, but before that I didn't, and so I had to scavenge for a container to filter water by boiling it and cooking it. You know, I Mm. it was a very creative process of Mm. using your creative mind, which is survival um, at its best, is the creativity of like how how do I work with the environment and get creative so that I I'm thriving and not surviving.
2: And, right, yeah, right, so you've taken all these skills you've 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 dedicated two and a half years to like I need to get this experience because I want to do this thing, but I don't have any experience now, you may have some experience, so what does the wild and kind academy look like in twenty twenty three like what what is what is the ultimate end result here?
3: It's um, right now I have been building out a schedule that I could offer live classes with a mix of me teaching and guest instructors that I bring in who have more education than I have in any one particular subject so that I can offer. Classes that people can take right now, it's very much based around the hard skills. So, I've got a, a woman who is coming to teach intro to fly fishing and fly tying. Mm. And, um, I've got uh, I partner with um, Ray Livingston, um, who is really making a lot of waves over here in Washington state as a predator hunter, and um really doing some exciting work to be a voice for the hunting community. And I've brought him, he's come on board and he's teaching the um, learn to hunt series that will start in the spring. Um, And we're really, we're starting off with a masterclass where we can really welcome anybody in that you never, if you've never hunted before, if you've never even had the conversation come to the masterclass and both Ray and myself will be talking about that journey of why this isn't even an important topic and Mm -hmm. um and that's kind of our starting point with hunting is we really just want to welcome many many people in especially that's becoming important here in washington state because hunting here is um threatened um We've gone through a lot here in Washington State, and I don't want to lose our hunting community. I want to build a hunting sure. community. And whether those people choose to hunt or not, the education and the and the understanding about the why feels really, really mm. important as part of the wild kind mission. Um, is to understand where where this is all relevant and why so um so i have classes i've got i'm bringing a wilderness first responder training a medical training um, for people to learn just even the medical side of being out in the back country and only having yourself to um either help yourself in a medical situation or the people you're with so i'm trying to bring in the hard skills that make it uh, that make it accessible for people to then go have their, their journeys. The piece that I haven't yet really tapped into that I feel is happening in 2023 is me stepping into the role of making the connection around the mind, body, spirit stuff. I know I wow. have a specific role in this. That's not just heart mm-hmm. skills, but bringing forth the considerations of our connection to nature the rewilding part that that gives us a sense of of feeling good in the body feeling good in the mind and Mm -hmm. feeling connected Mm -hmm. in spirit so i feel that i'm going that's where i'm going personally is to start to bring in more of the mindfulness training and um the opportunities that people might have when they take this journey with me Um, I had an interesting conversation with a woman recently who came to one of my classes. I teach a 10 C's of survival class that is um, really just a master class on what you need, the gear you need to, to, to feel great on a day hike or for a multi-day hike. And Mm -hmm. she's, um, uh, she works with acupuncture. She's a Chinese medicine, and she works with doctors who are um, interested in learning some of these arts, but also nature connection. And she said to me, she goes to all these gatherings every year. And she said, lately, there's maybe two different kinds of class offerings. You might have a create a burnout bowl using the embers from your fire class, which is a hard skill class, or um, nature bathing 101 for equanimity of mind. And she said 50 people will come to the nature bathing class, and five people might go to the wood bur- bowl burning, you know, create a container, a mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. wood bowl class. And she's noticing then that there really is, <laughs> in terms of a business and what's being asked from our community, a real need to feel, I think, possibly first the why of getting into nature, and then maybe where the hard skills come in is almost secondary to get you further Mm -hmm. and deeper into nature so that you have those skills so i might have gone about this backwards um because currently i offer hard skill training classes but
2: i know but i think i think you no but i think that's the thing is like if i'd asked you if we had started this conversation the other way and i'd said do you have experience in Dare I say, having good conversations, getting people to relax, mind, spirit, heart intersections. You would be like, oh, yeah, 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 that's me. So you already had the skills. It was just a matter of like piling on the other skills. And I agree with you. I think people, I think people would entertain more like, hey, come out here and do you know, a day and a half of getting to know yourself through X, Y, and Z. And then maybe they'd be interested in learning, a, you know, a fire skill. Because I think the fire skill is for the person who re- truly wants to like survival. Like, yes, I'm going to be that. Versus the other one is more just like, how do I become, how do I feel better mm-hmm. in my nine to five mm-hmm. that I do, you know, every week?
3: Yes. And I think there's a big need for that because most people work a nine to five. Most people, you know, everyone's watching the alone show right now. It's a very popular show that's been on for 10 years. People love to get home from work and sit down with a bowl of popcorn and watch people survive and watch them get creative about their survival. And they can somehow relate to that you know we love disaster movies we love survival movies we love survival anything because i think it speaks to the nature of who we are truly Mm -hmm. like we all have that survival instinct and that what would we do in that situation so it really speaks to people but most people are like i could never do that that's like no i could never do that um so there's a sense also of it being out of reach and completely unreasonable which makes sense it's really hardcore Mm -hmm. stuff Mm -hmm. but most people Live in city centers, most people um, feel that need to want to connect to the to nature, feel that something's missing, but the access is so feels so far away. And if they are having access, it's looking like a day hike for a couple hours out on a weekend, um, which is great. But it's there's still something missing there, and there actually is some science behind time in nature. And how certain time frames actually do things to the brain. Oh, for you sure. Know, so for you sure. Know. That's
2: Michael Easter talking right ah, there. Ah, yes. So, and I yeah, read his yeah, book, yeah. which
3: is one of my favorites of 2020, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, the three-hour window on a day hike versus even a 24-hour window, you know, you start to get these different changes happening in the brain. and And – and so, more is accessed from it. So, I do think there's something to bridge through Wild Kind or anyone offering these types of skills or training, which is how do we relate to the people who feel this is, you know, that's the people actually we need to bring on board to make it feel accessible and to create time in nature, to create reflective time in nature, and that the elements whether you have a raging fire in front of you which does also change the brain there is something that happens as you gaze into a fire well there's hacks you can also bring in the elements and i see people doing it through biohacking where they're cold plunging they're um you know doing meditations in front of a candle they're doing things kind of in that more hippie spiritual stuff that um but they're also seeing there's benefit scientifically to even bringing in the elements of, uh, cold therapy, cold exposure, discomfort. Um, uh, what did they call grounding where you go out and stand Mm -hmm. in the grass barefoot just to ground yourself to the earth and the, and the Mm -hmm. science behind that. So there's things still that are available to us that people are, that you can still incorporate. I mean, if you even live in a city and you're like, I don't, I'm too busy. I can't get out. Well, I mean, that is a lifestyle design issue, but you can still rise before the sun, go outside, step barefoot anywhere that has an electric current to the earth and watch the sun rise and feel that there's going to be something that happens to your brain by watching a sunrise and letting your the the cones in your eyes go through that light spectrum and feeling the cold exposure you know go out there in a t-shirt barely anything let the morning sun rays access your body and then go have a cold shower I mean there's things I think that that we we start at, that people are starting mm-hmm. to get really interested in. I'm just watched mm-hmm. Joe Rogan do this whole like he's doing this sure. whole ice plunge thing, and he talks through it, and he's like, "This is the best way to start my day," and it's a thing. People are really into it for good reason. And breath work.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So
3: we have more we can do to access our senses, and um, I think it's more available than people realize. And it's going to be training for them to get to deeper parts of. Of the outdoors which they'll get to if they train themselves out of them out of the current
2: conundrum and that's what you want to do with the wild and kind academy yeah perfect perfect well where can people find some more information about what you do who you are all the good stuff
3: wildkindacademy.com is the website and I would encourage them to subscribe to the newsletter because that's where I send out communications on upcoming courses and they can find upcoming courses and dates to place held for what's coming into the future. Um, and I'm constantly updating that cause I'm a one person show. So I, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> that will get updated as I have the bandwidth, but lots coming in 2023. I'm on Instagram as Jess underscore Wild Kind Academy. And I'm on TikTok as Wild Kind Jess.
2: Awesome. Well, Jess, it's been a pleasure. Uh, it was a pleasure meeting you in person. And um, yeah, keep doing what you're doing. It's great, awesome great. stuff.
3: Thanks, Robbie. It's really an honor that you've had me um, as part of your Blood Origins conversation. It was really exciting for me to talk with you.
2: Uh, the honor's all ours. Thank you. Well, that's it for today appreciate you listening as always leave a review share it with your friends and most importantly do what's right to convey the truth around hunting
0: pursuing wild game in wild places tuning to hunt stand presents saturdays at 8 30 p.m eastern waypoint tv the destination for outdoor entertainment